Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Preserve and protect your health by listening live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Good morning, listeners. Today is September 9th, 2014. We're doing a special show today. Typically, we do our shows on Wednesdays. But Barbara Selig Brown, who is our guest today, was able to put aside some of her other scheduled events to join us. So that's why we are broadcasting today on Tuesday. Barbara Selig-Brown, she's the author of the book, The Healthy Home Cookbook. She's also the host of a TV cooking show, Stress-Free Cooking, and author of the companion cookbook. Her career in food began when she was inspired in the kitchen by her mama and her grandmother. Since then, she's been teaching healthy cooking classes and pretty much been writing about food and wine so that others could share in her love of cooking. Now I would like to bring Barbara onto our show. Hello, Barbara. Hi, Denise. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on your show. Very, very welcome. Barb, I'd like to start my shows out by asking my guest how you got on the path that you're on today, outside, of course, the fact that you were inspired in the kitchen by your mother and your grandmother. Oh, you know, I have always loved to cook and had always thought it would be fun at some point in my life to write a cookbook, but really didn't know how to go about it when I was young, very young. So I ended up actually getting involved in the health and fitness world, teaching aerobics. And I was teaching aerobics in a corporate fitness center, and we did a couple of fundraisers for the American Heart Association. We raised quite a bit of money, and I was invited to a thank you event. Happened to sit next to the vice president of the Heart Association, who was starting a new program a new nutrition program called Culinary Heart. And I was, you had to be invited and you had to be in a health-related field to be included. And they invited me to take the course. And I went to my employer who said, absolutely, you can have the time. We would just love you to have this credential. So I went, I took the course, I got the certificate, and then I started teaching healthy cooking classes. And it just took off from there. So I considered myself extremely lucky to have met this person and been invited to take the course because it it just opened so many doors for me. So between my love of food and my love of sharing with others, um, 
teaching healthy cooking classes just became such a natural, and, and I loved every minute of it. Isn't it interesting how one contact can change your destiny? Absolutely. And being open to listening to what other people have to say. You know, I think that um, sometimes when we just let someone else talk, we learn so much and we gain so much knowledge that um, I love to, to just ask people how they got to where they are, just like you're doing with me. It's, such a, it's really a gift to ask someone how did you get where you are and, and find out, you know, different ways that people have gotten to from point A to point B. And I think many of us have gotten from point A to point B in very crazy ways and ways that we never mm-hmm. dreamed of. Mm-hmm. You would actually make an interesting book, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes. Actually, you're right. I, I agree with you there. It would make a great, great book. <laughs> <laughs> and it would be it would be very educational. Mhm. Mhm. Well, our goal today is to teach our listeners how to cook healthy meals. And obviously that always goes along with a healthy lifestyle. Now your your new book, The Healthy Home Cookbook, pretty much shows readers that cooking is really an essential part of healthy lifestyle and and you offer kind of an added bonus by making these recipes economical, which is really important really important today because food is becoming more and more expensive. Oh, I know. I mean, food is amazingly expensive. And, you know, because of what I do for a living, I don't mind spending a little extra on groceries. But I realize that, you know, there are a lot of people that need to think about feeding five people every night. And, the cost does come into play. You know, I think that it's important for people to buy the best quality ingredients that they can, but by the same token, you know, keeping their pocketbook in mind. And, you know, there's not only the cost of ingredients, but I think, for instance, you know, you could be with a fa- be in a family of five people, four or five people, and not everyone likes the same thing. So that's another part of the challenge. So what I used to do with my children when they were living at home was we got, everybody got to pick a dinner that they liked one night a week. And when it was someone else's night to choose the dinner, no one else could complain. And that way we all learned to sort of work together as a team. And you might have known that if it was my, if it was my one son's night to pick, you knew kind of what he was going to pick, but everybody <laughs> got their turn. So it lessened, uh-huh. it lessened the complaining and, you know, made dinner time a lot more pleasant for everybody. But one of was the there, other things that I... Was there, one partic- was there one particular dish that everybody liked? Well, you know, my family all loves pasta, pasta any which way, shape, and form. And so okay. I used to, you know, change that up a lot. And, of course, you know, we, we tried to, you know, add high-protein ingredients to pasta as well so that we could balance out the meal a little more. Um, mm-hmm. And everybody loved um, having a nice big salad. We were big salad eaters. And then, you know, some nights we'd grill and have a big salad. Uh, by far was always a family favorite. Salads take a lot of time to prepare. Do you have any tips for our listeners? Actually, that's, that's a very good comment and question. Um, I like to wash all of my greens maybe for a couple of days all at once. 
And I use a salad spinner because the drier the greens are when you put them away to keep them, the longer they will last. It's the water that lingers on the greens. So if you rinse your, your lettuce off and it still has a lot of water in it and then you put it in a plastic bag and put it in your refrigerator, that water deteriorates the lettuce over a day or so. So if you use a salad spinner, it's a great investment. It gets the greens nice and dry. And then when you put them away, you wrap them up in a paper towel, put them in a Ziploc bag, and they last for days. And then all you have to do is reach into your refrigerator, pull out the, the right amount of greens, and add some mm-hmm. other ingredients. And, and ha- most of the work is already done. Mm-hmm. I recently discovered um, Russian kale. It's oh, yeah. really kale is Kale is very hot right now, and it's really good for you. And the, a good rule of thumb for eating healthy is the darker the green, the healthier it is, or mm-hmm. the more colorful. So if you have a choice of white grapefruit versus pink, the pink is going to be a little more nutritious because you have additional oh. nutrients from the color. Um, so iceberg lettuce is not as nutritious as spinach, or kale. And kale, mm-hmm. everybody's doing a lot with kale right now. I think I've noticed baby kale in the grocery stores, which I think is a really good way for people to try eating kale because some kale, I think, can be um, a little bit tough and very strong yes. in flavor. Yes. But ba- baby kale is very pleasant. And even a warm dressing on baby kale, just warming up the olive oil and garlic and a little red wine vinegar will help to wilt those greens, and that makes it just a little bit sweeter as well. The Russian kale, I don't see it in the grocery stores very often, so I'm growing it myself. Oh, good for you. Oh, that's fabulous. You, can, you can't beat anything homemade or homegrown. I know. I was at some friend's house. Um, on vacation, and they had the most beautiful garden of herbs and lettuces and vegetables. And we had salad every night, but we had that Russian kale, and it it tasted so good, and it seemed more like a lettuce than it it did a kale. Now, I have not tried that. I mean, I've tried many different varieties. One of the things that I do with kale is I have a recipe for um, a tortellini soup and it you can make it completely vegetarian or you could add some chicken to it but it calls for spinach but you could also substitute kale and when you put kale into a soup and it wilts the greens it makes it a little bit sweeter so it's a good substitute for for any vegetable in a soup oh that's interesting Hmm. let's talk about your cookbook okay I the recipes are wonderful. Thank you. I said your recipes are wonderful. It was a fun book to write because I was trying to think special, you know, because it is called The Mm -hmm. Healthy Home Cookbook, Diabetes-Friendly Recipes for Holidays, Parties, and Everyday Celebrations. So, you know, we, we tried to put a few things in here that were a little extra special for a dinner party or, you know, certainly we have a chapter on Thanksgiving. And, you know, Thanksgiving is probably the biggest meal of the year for anyone to cook. And so we thought that was really important to make sure we had a huge Thanksgiving chapter, and especially so that we could help people eat a little bit healthier on the biggest holiday of the year. What are some of your favorite recipes? 
My favorite recipe in the book is Oso Buco, which is a veal shank cooked in a wine sauce. And what I love mm. about it, the veal is very tender after you've cooked it. And also, it's, it's a very flavorful dish, but you can make it ahead. And it's actually better if you're having a dinner party. It's actually better if you make it the day before. You refrigerate it, and then the next day, you have no mess to clean up. You simply pop it in the oven for a half hour to an hour to heat it up, and voila, you know, nice, relaxed hostess or host and a great meal. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's and great. One of the other one of the other things I love, there's a fruit tart that has oatmeal and almonds in the crust. And so that lightens up our crust. We don't have a heavy, butter-laden crust. Um, and it's, it's just a great way to use some fresh berries or um, any kind of fruit that your family likes, peaches, fresh berries. So I love recipes that are versatile, and I often give cooks tips in my recipes that will either give you a hint as to cooking or suggestions. Um, for instance, some people don't like cilantro. So a good substitute for cilantro is parsley. And, you know, those are the kinds of things you'll find in the book as little tips. If you don't like cilantro, substitute parsley. Mm-hmm. What do you find are, are the benefits of cooking at home other than the economics of it? Well, you know, when you cook at home, you are totally in control of what goes into your body um, and mm-hmm. your family. Because if you are the grocery shopper and or cook, you are sort of a gatekeeper because you're monitoring how much salt, fat, sugar goes into your family. And so I think, you know, cooking at home is always fresher, number one, but it has almost no additives. I mean, you may use a canned chicken broth or something, but for the most part, Mm -hmm. you know, you're cooking fresh, you're eliminating additives, you're able to control salt, fat, and sugar. And to me, it's not only about cooking and eating, it's about cooking and nurturing your family. And when people sit at the when families sit at the kitchen table or dining room table together, I find their conversations are just so more substantial than if you're passing in the hallway or dropping kids off all the time at activities. You know, you might say, how was your day? And everybody gives you a quick answer. But when you're sitting at the dinner table, you know, you might say, how was your day? And you're going to get a really good explanation of how the soccer game was or how the chemistry test was and mm-hmm. I just I just really value having um, family dinner table talk conversation I know and it doesn't happen enough with the nuclear exactly. families with mom and dad working etc let me give you a little well, challenge it's just some, it's just something I, I was I've been thinking about what would you recommend to a working mother um, outside your initial recommendation of, you know, of their children picking meals for the week, how much time would be involved in a, on a weekly basis per day to prepare these meals, or could they do them on the weekend ahead of time? What would you, well, what would actually, you recommend? To, there's a couple of things that I would recommend, and I'm going to answer your question, but I also want to step back a little bit and say okay. that I, 
in the, in the book, there's a pantry list. You could use it as a shopping list. And what I say to people is shop less often, be more complete, keep your pantry, fridge, and freezer stocked, and you're making less stops on the way home from work. And when you get home, you can start cooking as opposed to first stopping at the store and then going home and cooking. So I think that a good basic trick is to keep your house well stocked. You know, shop maybe okay. once a week or two weeks, but be really thorough about it. And so in the book or on my website, Stress-Free Cooking, you can find a pantry list. And, you know, you might not want to buy everything on the list, but the list is designed to, to give you enough ingredients to have on hand so that if you open one of my cookbooks, you can make some of the recipes without making a special trip to the store. So I think that that's a huge time saver. It is. Um, and then, you know, as far as um, how much time does it take, you know, I've learned from watching my friends and my daughters-in-law that mm-hmm. how much time it takes to cook depends on the person. We all, we okay. all do things at different rates, you know. I mean, it, depending on your experience. You know, if your knife skills are really good, then you're going to be able to chop vegetables a lot faster than someone else. Um, Or maybe some of us just move faster than others. You know, our personalities (laughs) are all different. (laughs) True. Um, But but that being said, um, there are a lot of recipes in the book that you could make two of, make double and freeze one. And so tonight it might take you a little longer to make two mm-hmm. casseroles or two a double batch of spaghetti sauce, but next week or the week after, the work is already done. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at your at your pantry list, and it's a lot of the basic items. Sure, most people probably have them in their pantries already. And actually, that might be kind of fun for someone to to look at the list and check off all the things they already have, and that might make everybody feel good. Yeah. I'll have to try one of your your recipes and see how many of these pantry items I have. (laughs) Well, I hope you will, and I hope you'll enjoy it, and certainly um, would love to hear when you do try something. Um, But a lot of my recipes are even inspired by my travels to Italy because, of course, you know, Italian food, people think Mm. of as, you know, that it can be heavy and fat-laden. But really, Mediterranean cooking is very light, very simple. Um, In this country, the contrast I find is that our Italian restaurants tend to overdo everything. When you go to Italy, Mm -hmm. things are much, much simpler much fresher, and so I have um, recipes in my book that are inspired by my travels, and they certainly meet the American Diabetes Association dietary requirements, so we know that they're healthy. Mm-hmm. You emphasize the importance of keeping the kitchen well stocked, like we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Would you tell our listeners what staple items would be a good idea to have on hand? Sure. I am a huge proponent of extra virgin olive oil. I think, you know, extra virgin olive oil is uh, very versatile. It's heart healthy. And 
you know, I, you can't go wrong with keeping a good quality extra virgin olive oil. I love to make salads, as we mentioned, so I keep mm-hmm. a variety of vinegars. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you buy a sweeter vinegar, like a balsamic, you could use less oil so that you're saving some calories by having a little sweeter vinegar. You can always put a drop of honey into an oil and vinegar dressing so that it sweetens it up a little bit. And honey mm-hmm. is an acceptable, acceptable sweetener for people with diabetes because it's absorbed more slowly into the bloodstream. So mm-hmm. that would be a nice way to sweeten things up. Of course, I use a lot of garlic, which is very healthy. It has a lot of antioxidants. Um, and I always keep a variety of seasonings, uh, pasta, rice. Beans are a great source of protein, and there's a recipe for white bean soup that is quick, easy, and really flavorful and can also be vegetarian for those nights when you might feel like you need to have a meatless meal. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And polenta is also a really nice substitute for potatoes or pasta. Potato, I'm sorry, polenta is ground cornmeal, and it cooks very quickly, and it's, it can be very creamy and just a wonderful base for something like a soup or a stew. Mm-hmm. So, and then I, had really, I, I, had real, I had a real challenge with seasonings. Which ones mm-hmm. do you use the most often? I love to use fresh herbs, but if fresh herbs aren't available, um, you can always use dried. And since I tend to lean towards Mediterranean or Italian, I use a lot of basil, a lot of oregano. I use a lot of rosemary, garlic, onions. um, And, you know, the ratio for dried to fresh, if you're trying to, if you're reading a recipe that calls for dry or fresh, the Mm -hmm. ratio is one one to three. So one part dry is the equivalent of three times the amount of fresh because, of course, fresh is going to be fluffier and lighter. Um, Okay. But, you know, Either one works very well. And when you're using dried herbs, if you want them to be a little more flavorful, the thing that you can do is rub them between your fingers and then drop them into the dish. And the oil mm-hmm. and the heat, heat from your finger um, make those herbs a lot more fragrant and flavorful. Oh, that's a wonderful tip. Yeah, and simple. Just really simple. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of baking the jar into the sauce or the pot, you know, just mm-hmm. put it into your palm of your hand and then take couple of your fingers from the other hand and rub them together and and it really smells good and it sort of freshens them up a little bit oh i love that tip well, thank Listeners, you. I hope you got that one <laughs> <laughs> i find sometimes that recipes can be a little bit confusing what are some of your guidelines that we should follow when reading recipes or in particular yours Well, I always encourage people to read the recipe in its entirety before you start gathering your ingredients. And the reason being, um, you don't want to be halfway through a recipe and find out that you planned on having dinner in a half hour and it needs two hours to cook. So Mm. always, always read the recipe thoroughly, including the text, the you know the directions. And then the first thing that you do, the second thing that you do, is you get all of your ingredients out of the closet or the pantry or the fridge, put them on your kitchen counter, and do all of the prep. That's all of the chopping, washing, 
um, anything that's required, and you don't turn the stove on or the mixer on or the food processor on until you have all of that prep done. And that way, once you start cooking, go very smoothly so that you don't burn the garlic while you're chopping a pepper. Ah, yeah. And then you, you know, you think you start following the directions, everything's ready, and before you know it, you have your meal all prepared. And then if it needs to simmer for a half hour, you're done, you know. Mm -hmm. It's all all together. And the other thing I like about that is if you're cooking and you get an interruption, maybe the telephone rings or the dog needs to go out or whatever, or one of the kids falls down, um, it will guide you to where you left off. So if I have all of my ingredients prepped and on my kitchen counter and I started cooking and I get distracted and I had to turn off the stove and walk away, when I go back, I can see where I left off I can, because I can see, oh, I still have the onion to put in. I still have the garlic to put in. Instead of saying to myself, okay, that distraction you know, took me away for 10 or 15 minutes. I can't remember where I left off. But because you did all of the prep first, you now will know where you left off. Wonderful. Listeners, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Barbara Selig-Brown. She's the author of the Healthy Home Cookbook. It's a diabetes-friendly recipes for holidays, parties, and everyday celebration. Now, Barbara, you devote an entire chapter of the book to Italian night. I know earlier you, you mentioned that you know, Italian recipes are your absolute favorite. Um, is, that, is that what is so special about having an Italian meal? Or No, I think it's just that um, uh, my family background is Italian. Um, my, most of my grandmother, my grandmother, my mother, my aunts, everybody loves to cook. The table is very important in an Italian family. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I've been to Italy many, many times, both on business and pleasure. And so Mm. I just absolutely embrace um, the Italian lifestyle of, you know, Mediterranean fresh and just very flavorful ingredients. Because the more flavorful your ingredients are, the less you have to do to them, which makes your your cooking much simpler. So if you Mm -hmm. have high-quality ingredients with lots of flavor, you don't have to spend as much time doctoring them up, so to speak. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I know that in Italy, they cook differently in certain regions. Yes, absolutely. So, which region have you? Um, are you more prone to? You know, uh, that's. That's a really good question, and, and I know I'm going to sound like I'm copping out by saying I love them all, but I love them all for different reasons, for reasons basically because in the South you get more pasta and red sauce and spicy food. In the North you get um, lighter sauces, a little bit more basil. Pesto is from Geneva, Geneva which is a little further north. So it's mm-hmm. the contrast in the type of sauces that you'll see. Um, if most of Italy is located on the coast. There's one region called Umbria, which is the center, and it's the only landlocked part of Italy. So in Umbria, you get more meat, but in the surrounding part of Italy, you'll get a lot more seafood. So it really depends where you are, and Italy is very localized. So when you're traveling, 
and, you know, people have an idea of what's an Italian dish. Maybe it was an Italian dish they had in their hometown here in the States. And then they go to Italy and they think just because they're in Italy, they're going to find that dish. And that's not always possible. So, you know, a meatball is not common in, in Italy. It's, that's more of an Italian-American <laughs> thing. Um, oh, and they're delicious. Yeah, but you're not going to find a meatball in most northern Italian oh restaurants. So, you know, it's, it's about thinking locally there because they eat seasonally. Um, unlike us where we could get, you know, anything 12 months a year. But they eat very seasonally. And so that's why it's really hard to say what your, my favorite region is. However, I do love um, my osso which is a northern Italian dish. That's a dish that was traditionally prepared up in the region of Milan. And that's traditionally served with risotto milanese, um, which is just a basic risotto with some cheese in it. But it's, mm-hmm. I think it really, as long as you eat regionally if you're traveling you'll be able to enjoy and savor what the country is all about and you can learn so much about the people just from the native dishes I think well their pastas are different from here as well absolutely it's a a lot people feel that the pizza and the pasta a lot of the difference is the water and that's just something that we can't help (laughs) you know I mean um the, the, the mineral content? I think just, yeah, just the basic structure of the water, you know, just because it's a different country. They're halfway around the world, you know. Um, hmm. So uh, who knows? But um, p- homemade pasta or fresh pasta is always a treat, and um, I love making fresh pasta with my family. It's Sometimes that's a, a family entertainment night for us is that we'll get out the pasta maker, open a nice bottle of wine, everybody has a hand in making pasta, maybe somebody's making meatballs, someone's making pasta, and we're all gathered <laughs> around the island in the kitchen, and it's a really fun night, you know. Aww. So fresh pasta is great. But, you know, there are very good high-quality dry pastas available to us too. So that, again, is going to be a matter of what is convenient for you. Mhm, mhm. Well, I'd have to say that that you're handing down a wonderful legacy to your your children. Well, thank you, thank you. And I I do cook with my children often, as often as possible, as often as our mm-hmm. lives will let us. Mhm, mhm. Yeah, I really admire that. Thank you. I recently um, purchased some fruit-infused vinegars. What do you think about them for cooking? I've been experimenting with them, but nothing really comes out <laughs> like I'd like it to. <laughs> um, you know, I think they're, they're wonderful. I mean, fruit or herb-infused vinegars are wonderful. But, you know, I think vinegar, uh, those kinds of things are more finishing things or salad dressing type things. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes when you... I think if you actually cook with those or heat them, um, what might happen is that, um, you know, the the flavors dissipate a little bit. The heat destroys some of the flavors. So I don't think they're necessarily for cooking as much as they are for finishing or uncooked sauces or dressing. Yeah, yeah. They do taste wonderful, Um, even the uh, fruit-infused olive oils on salads. We are really enjoying them. 
Absolutely. Kind of a whole new, whole new world. <laughs> Can't believe how many different flavors they make. I know. And one of my favorites is blood orange. That's that the one really I have. Rich? Good for you. Yeah, it's a really rich, wonderful, very flavorful orange. And um, I, whenever I see something with blood orange, believe me, I grab it. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's great. Why don't we talk about basic foods and and wine pairings? I think we all would benefit from some information on this for sure. Sure. In fact, I just got back from California wine country and had a wonderful visit to some excellent, excellent producers in Sonoma and Napa. And, um, you know, a, a simple wine pairing tip is pair locally. So if you're doing an Italian dish, pick an Italian wine. If you're cooking a French-style recipe, pick a French wine. It's not, you don't have to do that, but it's certainly a good place to start. If you're just beginning to learn about wine pairing, that's a great Mm. place to start. Okay. It can be a little confusing on um, reds and whites. Yes. Well, you know, red and white, I mean, the the old rule of thumb was, you know, white with seafood and poultry and red with meat. But, of course, you know, now there's such a variety of wines that you can sort of cross those lines a little bit. Um, You know, I think if someone's just starting out with, with wine and food pairing, you probably just need to taste some wines and, and think about what you enjoy. And, you know, white wines run the gambit from light crispy to a Chardonnay that's really oaky and buttery. So there's a good analogy that I've learned, which is think in terms of wine and relate it to milk. Thin milk, 1%, 2%, whole milk, heavy cream. If you think in terms of how it might relate to milk products, it helps you sort of pair wine with food. So a really light wine I would have with a, like a, a very light. One of my favorite wines is an Orvieto, which is a white wine from Umbria. And it's a light, crispy, citrusy wine. So I'll have that with a lighter dish. Um, I might have that with um, some grilled fish or a pasta with fish and, you know, a very light white wine sauce. Orvieto is a great wine to cook with because it's a very balanced wine. Wines that have a lot of oak flavoring are not great to cook with because you don't want that oaky flavor in your food. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So lighter wines, you know, and then a a really big Chardonnay from California, you can think in terms of that where they have buttery notes. Think in terms of that with, say, a seafood dish that has a richer sauce. Um, something that's not so light, you know, something that might be a little bit more decadent. Mm. Uh, and then reds, reds will also run the gambit from light reds to heavier reds. Mm-hmm. And again, the same mm-hmm. thing, you know, lighter dishes. I love a Pinot Noir with a roasted chicken, but you could also have any kind of a white wine with a roasted chicken. I just happen to like the combination of Pinot Noir and roasted chicken. But... Um, one of the other things that I would say is it's really a matter of what you like. And mm-hmm. the tasting wines, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, taste wines, see what you like. And you also want to think about the acid in the food or the sauce. So sometimes it's not about the actual protein, 
but it's more about the sauce in the dish. So if the sauce has a lot of acid or lemon or citrus, you want to think in terms of a higher acid wine. If your sauce is rich and buttery, you can go with a Chardonnay. If your sauce is very rich and savory, a red sauce or a brown sauce, then you probably want to think about a red wine. Oh, okay. Those are wonderful tips. Thank you. I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a recipe in your, in your cookbook. It's chicken and vegetables in papalotti. Papillote, oh, how do you say that? It's on papillote. It's a French cooking term. I wonder and I can't pronounce what, it. <laughs> <laughs> what that is, is cooking in parchment paper. Um, oh. and a substitute for parchment could also be aluminum foil, but it's a dish that looks really pretty. Um, if you use the parchment paper, because the parchment paper browns nicely, and so when you serve that dish, it just gives a beautiful presentation. So you're taking a piece of parchment paper, and parchment paper is readily available, usually in the section of the grocery store or the gourmet shop where you find the aluminum foil and the plastic wrap. And you put mm-hmm. a piece of parchment paper down on your kitchen counter, and you're going to fold it in half, and you cut a heart shape out of it, as big a heart shape as you can, so that when you put the chicken on the parchment paper and you're going to put some vegetables and then some herbs, some garlic, and slap a little white wine in there. And then you're going to fold the heart in half and then you start crimping the edges all the way around the heart. And when you get to the end, you'll have a little tail and you just tuck it under. You put that on a baking sheet, a cookie sheet, anything like that. Pop it in the oven. And it actually, the wine and the vegetables, the wine will cook the chicken and the vegetables. And it's just a really flavorful, extremely, there's no added fat in this dish. And it's also really fun and pretty. So you take that little nicely golden brown package that's put, that you had, you know, browned in the oven, and you put it on a dinner plate, and you cut a little tiny hole in the top of it, and the steam comes out, and then you serve it to your guests, and it looks just beautiful. It makes a beautiful presentation. In fact, there's going to be photos of that in my next book. We are oh, really? Doing, the, next book, oh, good. the next book I'm doing is called Secrets of Healthy Cooking, and we're going mm-hmm. to do, spend, we're spending a lot of time on photos, um, and one of the photos we'll be doing is how to cook on poppy oat. Wonderful. I, I have parchment paper that it's on a roll. So do you um, pull it out maybe yeah. 12 inches? I would make it about 12 by 18. A standard half sheet pan is 12 by 18. And you can also sometimes find gourmet shops that sell parchment paper already cut into 12 by 18 sheets. But if you can't, you buy the roll. That's probably the easier way to find parchment paper. And so you cut it about 18 inches long, and then you'll have the right size. So I recommend about a 12 by 18 inch sheet. And the roll is probably 12 inches wide. So I would just roll out about 18 inches and give it a little cut. Definitely going to try this one. I'll well, experiment on my family. I'll experiment well, on my another, family first. That's good. <laughs> and another <laughs> substitute for parchment would be to do the same thing with aluminum foil. And actually, then you don't even have to cut the heart because then you're going to be able to crimp it, you know, because aluminum foil keeps its shape. So you could try it with aluminum foil as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what if you really got me psyched up about cooking? 
That's great. I, I love that music to my ears, and one of the nicest compliments anyone could give me. <laughs> you give cooking classes, don't you? I do. I've given many, many cooking classes. I have not uh, been teaching in the last few months because I've been working on another book. Um, but people can check my website um, for cooking classes um, in a few months. Oh, good. Give the listeners your your um, website address again. My website is stressfreecooking.com, and I also have a Facebook page, which is Stress Free Cooking with host Barbara Seeley Brown, and I. I love for people to visit my Facebook page because I've been posting a lot of fun information about California wine country in the last week. Oh, I'll have to go there. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. So what are some of your favorite recipes in the book? Are they all pasta recipes? (laughs) Because you love pasta or are they different? No, I think it depends what kind of mood I'm in, who I'm cooking for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we always know what our friends and family like, um, and sometimes I might want to surprise somebody with something new, but um, you know, I think it really depends who I'm cooking for. But one of the things that I love to make are roasted vegetables. I think, you know, most people really enjoy roasted vegetables, and they always think it's very complicated, but it's not. And all you really need to do is to cut some vegetables up, any vegetables that you enjoy, and I recommend putting them in a big bowl and tossing them with a little bit of olive oil. You'll use a lot less oil if you do this than if you put them on a baking sheet and drizzle olive oil over it. Okay. So cut up your favorite vegetables. If they're things like a carrot and an eggplant, then keep Mm -hmm. them separate because the carrot is going to take longer to cook. So you could do them on separate sheet pans. But I take a sheet pan, line it with parchment paper, and then I toss my vegetables in a bowl with extra virgin olive oil, salt, and pepper. Lay them in a single layer in your sheet pan or your baking pan. If you, if you pile them up, they're not going to roast. They're going to steam because you have, you know, okay. the steam is going to build up in between all the vegetables. So single layer, and then they'll brown beautifully. Pop them into a preheated oven anywhere from... 375 to 425 degrees and you know you just have to test them periodically because it depends what you're cooking a zucchini cooks really quickly it depends how big you've cut them you know if you cut them into big pieces they're going to take longer um mm-hmm. so really just start checking them after 15 or 20 minutes you you know some people like them crispier than others so it's really a very versatile recipe. It's a matter of what you like. You could, you could do red, pe- red bell pepper. You could do mushrooms, carrots, zucchini, eggplants, um, any of your favorite vegetables. And just, you know, okay. kind of keep your eye on it and check them, you know, until they're, I would say, fourth tender, but some people might like them done a little bit more than that. But remember, cooking kills vitamins and minerals and nutrients. So if you eat your vegetables a little bit firmer, you're going to have a little bit more nutritional value there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you put any spices on them? I salt and pepper, maybe some chopped garlic, but I like to taste the vegetables. Um, you certainly could put seasonings on them, whatever your okay. favorite is. If you have a favorite um, Asian blend or Italian blend, whatever you like. I'm working on a stress-free cooking blend, um, which will be Mediterranean for sure. Oh, oh, good. <laughs> Love to hear that. 
Well, we are in the process of working on that for the next book. Oh, and it takes so much time to put a book together. Oh, my goodness. It is. But it's it's a privilege to be able to do that, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some of our listeners out there have been diagnosed with diabetes, and um, they might have some questions to ask you on some of the cooking methods. So, again, sure. what is your website? It's stressfreecooking.com. Okay, great, great. Now, in all your years of experience in cooking, do you have one favorite meal that you cook over anything else? One of the things that I used to make, and I'm thinking now back to family meals, um, one of the things that I found very handy when my children were young and at home and, you know, you had busy after-school schedules was I would take a chicken and, you know, a, a chicken that's been cut up. You could buy all breasts, you could buy all thighs, whatever your family likes. So I used to buy, you know, a whole chicken, cut it up, and toss that with some carrots, some potatoes, some onions, extra virgin olive oil, salt and pepper, pop it into my oven and just bake it. But I would also regulate my time and temperature. So if we had to go to a basketball game and I wanted it to cook in an hour and a half, I would turn it down to about 300 degrees. If I wanted to cook it faster, I could turn it up to 375 or 400. But it was a great family meal because people could have, if they wanted, the wing or the leg or the breast. They could have whatever Mm -hmm. they wanted. It's a, I consider it a one-pot meal because I had carrots and onions in there for my veggies. I had potatoes. And so if mm-hmm. you're having a really busy, hectic night, you know, it's a great way to have a really hot – I consider that sort of a comfort meal in a way. It is. It's interesting, it's interesting that you, you talk about those particular items because I'll often get my crock pot and put all those exact items into it. Yeah. Then just let it cook over over a period of the day. And that's that's another wonderful way to prepare a family dinner. I agree. And um, one of the tips for crockpots is some people complain to me that they feel things don't have really rich flavors from the crockpot. A good tip for your crockpot is to brown things before you put them in the crockpot. Then you'll get those rich flavors that you're looking for. What do you brown them in? Just, you know, a saute pan, a nonstick pan with a tiny drop of extra virgin olive oil. Um, if it's okay. chicken or if it's, you know, if you're making beef stew or something like that. You know, just brown those things a little bit more before you put them in the crock pot. And then you get, because it's the caramelization of the proteins that gives you those really wonderful, rich, savory flavors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you don't get that caramelization from the crock pot because it's not browning them. Although I know there are companies now that make crock pots that do brown. You can put the crock pot liner on top of your stove, brown things in the crock pot liner, and then return the crock pot liner to the, to the crock pot holder and cook it for four hours on high or eight hours on low and have a really great dinner. And I love the crock pot because... Not only does the family come home and smell dinner cooking, but so does oh. the cook. And I think Doesn't that's extra it? special. Yes. Oh, it really is. I love the way 
you, you smell that meal all day long. When, yeah, when you walk in the door, there's nothing better than you as the cook smelling the, a meal cooking, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, our last question of the day is, uh, what's the difference between barbecuing and grilling? Oh, that is a great question. Barbecuing is long, slow cooking, and grilling is really quick, high heat, and it's just very simple. Um, People do refer to putting something on their backyard grill as barbecuing, but true barbecue is long, slow cooking with either a dry rub or a wet marinade. Um, And grilling, as I said, is just putting something on a really high heat grill very quickly. Okay, great. Well, we're starting to run out of time. Why don't you tell our listeners, again, the name of your book, how you can be reached, and um, where they can purchase your book. My, the name of my book is The Healthy Home Cookbook, Diabetes-Friendly Recipes for Holidays, Parties, and Everyday Celebrations. And you can purchase it through the American Diabetes website, which is shopdiabetes.org, or Amazon. You can also visit my website for links to those sources, and that would be stressfreecooking.com. And you can also leave me a note on my Facebook page, Stress Free Cooking with host Barbara Celia Brown. Thank you, Barbara Celia Brown, for joining us today. I've really enjoyed our interview. And I invite you to, uh, really, and I, I want you to come back. Once I'd your second to. book is published, and we'll have a wonderful chat about about that one, and maybe I'll be able to update you on my cooking experience. <laughs> I, would, I would really love to hear from you about your cooking experiences. So please keep in touch, and thank you again for just a lovely afternoon on your show. It was great. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. All right, listeners, please join me tomorrow, Wednesday, September 10th for another interview with another very special guest, Dina Proctor. Again, thank you so much for listening in, and I look forward to you listening tomorrow. Bye-bye for now. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.health medianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What?